We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. Well, obviously, it, it means a lot. And like Tasker said, you know, all the blood, sweat, and tears that you put into wearing a jersey and playing for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, at that moment when we were talking about it, like we said, we had rehearsed it, what we were going to talk about, but we still got really emotional because, you know, I'm, I'm joining two of my great teammates in uh, Jim Kelly and Bruce Smith as having their numbers retired also. So, I mean, with having that number retired here in, in Buffalo where I played for 12 years is uh, something special that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. To my right, my producer Chris Krueger, and that was Thurman Thomas, the man, the myth, the legend, on NFL Network. Yep, uh, numbers getting retired Monday Night Football against the Patriots in October. Going to join uh, Jim Kelly and uh, Bruce Smith in the rafters, guys. I got to admit, this week. I feel good. I feel so much better than I did the last time we were here doing this. I mean, I know with the last show, I sounded like a crank, and I apologize. But maybe just try to listen to me here. Hear me out. Maybe you can understand. This pre-draft run-up, by the time that it was over, left me feeling like a man who was trying to tread water. While st- I mean, the movie Open Water, that's how I felt. Never seen it. Of course not, because it's a quality film. Why would you have seen it? I've seen Coneheads. All the arguing back and forth. This quarterback, that quarterback. Here's who I like. Here's who you should like. Boo. And then the Josh Allen pick. That's what really got me. I mean, at first, I felt like like I was getting bounced around. I mean, there was so much back and forth. And after that pick, I felt like a man lost at sea. Just out there in open water. God knows if there's sharks. I'm exhausted, and I don't know what the hell is going to happen. I was literally just completely and emotionally untethered. That's right! We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure! We've come too far! 
There's too much to lose. You gotta just keep our composure. Now, a t- an entire week off of podcasting, I can look back, and I guess I kind of felt like Tom Hanks in Castaway. Once everything had really settled down and I had this week, this kind of week hiatus, I mean, I felt like a man washed ashore, given a chance to kind of dry out, didn't have to look at anything football related, and I just had to figure out what the hell I was going to do now. (laughs) Where the hell do I go from here? We haven't, uh, technically, uh, this past week was our first break since July. (laughs) Because we'll come back at the end of July when training camp begins. And we'll be weekly up until, you know, the, right after the draft. You finally got a break. And I'll tell you, it couldn't have come at a better time. All the hyperbole, the arguing, the back and forth over quarterbacks. I mean, it just emotionally drained me. I know. And we're not, like, just talking about our podcast. We're talking about your stag this past weekend. Because <laughs> all of this was talked about. <laughs> quarterbacks. and Quarterbacks and, and people talking and arguing. And at some point in the night... I threw salt in somebody's face and tried to karate kick them. Not just anybody's face. The man that sets himself on fire every December, <laughs> Potter. I honestly, th- my stag was the perfect blend of on the rails and off the rails. I was full of decorum. I kept my, I, I mean, I was drunk, I left before I, it went off the rails. I kept my sobriety intact for so long. And then after the stag was over, we went to the bar, and that's where everything fell to shit, which is fine because it wasn't in front of my fiance's family, and I left the winner. I but- don't well, look. I I don't know how many of you know that like we do the show every week in my kitchen, like together. Drew's here. Drew busted in my door earlier, and the first thing he says to me with a pizza in his hand is, "Were you there when I tried to karate kick somebody at the bar?" <laughs> The, the but, good news is I didn't connect. Instead, I actually just obviously fell out of Obviously, because you're bo- not athletic. I fell out of my sandals, landed on the floor, knocked over a table, knocked the wind out of myself, and the bar owner came and gave me a free drink after picking me up off the floor. That's the type of bar patron I am, but also says a lot about my life. Now, when you talk about the draft, some of these guys, like the guys over at CoverOne.net, they're so good at compartmentalizing all of this draft stuff, now it's done. They pack it away. They take all their emotion out of it. And they just go right back to talking about prospects and people that they like and who they're excited about. Me, I was just flat out exhausted by it. And it, it took a straight week off from football news, from football talk, to having football conversations. For me to come back here and just really, I don't know, kind of put things back together. I think one of the biggest things. It took some emails, some back and forth with a brand new listener of ours, Hugo Carmona, hailing all the way from Portugal that really got me excited about coming back and doing this podcast again. I mean, did you guys know that Portugal has its own American style football league or that there are people in other countries who throw Super Bowl parties? Hugo, if you're listening out there, just know that not only am I thankful that you showed up when you did. But then I'm going to be reaching out to you during the offseason for more info on this football league because I find it incredibly interesting. Now that all this madness is behind us, hopefully, the question is, what do we do now? Chris, what did you do with your week off of podcasting? Yeah, but we'll start with uh, Sunday, Sunday Copper. I got it right here. High slot clap bombs. I got, we got four games in our season. I got seven goals, eight assists, 15 points. Tuesday, bronze, health wigs, nine goals, two assists. 11 points in four games, 
And then, uh, let's see, but Buffalo Spartans, Thursday, Monday, Thursday, iron, three games, seven goals, three assists, ten points. And then uh, my other Monday, uh, Monday Copper, Bar Down Creative, three games, three goals, three assists, six points. I am crushing it. I am to roller hockey what Drew Gear is to alcohol. Or he is to karate what Kramer is to young children. That makes zero sense. (laughs) And with that, folks, we are going to launch headfirst into this week's Bills News Update. Thurman Thomas is getting the royal treatment with the jersey retirement ceremony. The team announced that they will be retiring Thurman Thomas's jersey, number 34, in a special halftime celebration during the October 29th Monday Night Football game against the New England Patriots. That is a hell of an honor to have your jersey retired. Unless, like OJ, it's because no one actually wants it. And for Thomas, it's got to feel good to join what is a pretty exclusive club. I mean, Chris, think about it. In, in all of the years that the NFL has existed, only 139 players have had their numbers retired. I would, I would ask you this. If we polled people, how many of those people, we'd have to, assuming that they're not liars, how many people out there already thought Thurman had his number retired? Probably a lot of them. Because it's, people it's, are inherently stupid. It's surprising that he... He, I, I don't know if I would have put him like first or second for being having his number retired, but I mean, Bruce and uh, Jimbo, they got their numbers retired. Well, Andre it. Reed shouldn't be that far behind. Well, and this is my point. There's only two other Bills that share this distinction, Jim Kelly and Bruce Smith. And then, I mean, you think about it. Only half of the players out of that 139 who had their number retired, only half of them were also in the Hall of Fame. And then you take a look out of those Hall of Famers. Everybody who shared the number 34 for any other franchise who's also been retired, I mean, obviously they're all running backs. The only one whose stats don't seem to stand out more so than Thurman Thomas is Walter friggin' Payton. Okay? That, that puts Thurman in pretty elite company. That's rarefied air. And it's good to see that a Bills player, you know, again, anytime a Bills great is getting acknowledgement, it's good for the franchise. I'm quite confident in 1991, uh, he led the NFL in yards from scrimmage. I wouldn't doubt that. And he, I, if I'm, call in, call in if you know it, but, I mean, I, according- but I think that, I think that that was the first time a running back's ever done that. According to Pro Football Reference, Walter Payton finished his career with 16,726 yards from uh, total rushing yards. That's not even counting receiving yards. He's up over 20,000 if you counted them both. At the same time, you take Thurman Thomas. Thurman Thomas is the only one who holds a candle to him, and he's right up there with about 16,000, 17,000 total yards. That's impressive, especially for a Bills player talking about a franchise that hasn't gotten a whole lot of love over the years You know, when it comes to national recognition. So good for him. It's good for the team. I mean, it's... It, it's going to be a fantastic time, and I can't wait to see it. Hopefully, the ceremony goes a lot better than Bruce's, at least for me. Anybody who was there at the game might remember Bruce's number got retired during a Thursday night football game against the Jets. And the Bills, as they enjoy doing on primetime TV, were having their pants pulled down around their ankles by the New York Jets. 
So, I, but at halftime, that ceremony got everyone in the stadium fired up. It didn't matter if the Bills were losing. Bruce Smith was on a stage being uh, not see, drunk. Just seeing that guy, people lost their shit enough so to, that when the Bills in the second half scored their first touchdown, it was like a seventy-nine yard pass to some wide receiver who literally hasn't done anything since then. Goodwin? Uh, no, Garcia or Fargus or what? what? It doesn't matter what his name is because he never did anything else in the NFL after that. He caught that 79-yard touchdown pass, and I turned around, and I'm high-fiving people. You would have thought the Bills had just won the Super Bowl. That's how excited people were. And some shirtless rhinoceros of a man you literally two-handed high-fived me down, we're in row seven. Yep. He two-handed high-fived me down six flights of concrete stairs. Because he was just too fired up. Well, you also, <laughs> and you also deserve that. Probably. Ultimately, it's going to be a great time. And I can't, I mean, it just, it's fitting for a guy like that. I mean, yes, he did spend that one year with Miami just to snub the Bills. But... He's he one of the Bills' greatest players of all time. He's one of the better running backs in NFL history. And I'm I'm glad to see that not only has he made the Hall of Fame, but he's finally getting his due, having his number put away. Now, speaking of you know people getting their due, <laughs> people who are retired, Richie Incognito officially unretires. In a somewhat unexpected move, at least by my count, the Buffalo Bills acquiesced to Richie Incognito's demands and released him from the retired reserve list, putting him out there free to test the free agent market. It's kind of surprising to me personally, considering how the team handled the, I don't know, somewhat unexpected retirement and then attempted unretirement of Anquan Bolden last season, right after he signed with us. I mean, they struck me at that point as a franchise who was going to stick to their guns. Either you play for us because we signed you to a contract, or you don't play. Instead, they were happy to let Richie go. So the question becomes, what does this mean for the team, and what does it mean for the player? I mean, a lot of people can't look any more past that. I want to for a second. For Richie, it's going to be interesting to see what the market bears. I, I know that a team contacting the agent of a player already under contract with another franchise to discuss what could be is the definition of tampering and is explicitly forbidden by the NFL. I'm also not naive enough to think that it doesn't happen far more often than the league will ever cop to. So while it would seem to be that Richie was unhappy with the Bills' demand that he accept a pay cut, one would have to believe that he'd be rational enough to keep his current job until the moment he knew there was at least one party out there who was willing to pay him more money. And then he would... You know, fight his way out of our franchise in order to go make more money somewhere else. Then again, rational thinking has not always been the man's forte. I mean, just today, according to TMZ, he was arrested and is currently being held in police custody for what is labeled as a mental evaluation. After according to an alleged victim, Richie first threw a tennis ball then threw a dumbbell at him while, and I quote, rambling about the government 
and screaming at the man to get off my fucking playground. You fucking crazy man. You sound insane. Do you realize that? You should be medicated. This sort of almost paints Richie's recent social media antics. You know, we all went back and forth over what is this man thinking? Why is he acting this way? It almost paints them in a different light, huh? Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? You know that somewhere Brandon Bean is pouring himself a glass of bourbon because he's from Carolina. He's not fancy. He's not drinking scotch. He's drinking a glass of bourbon going, damn. And his little southern draw, damn, I dodged a bullet on that one. I dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> I dodged a bullet on that one. All right. So I guess you know, earlier on, I had kind of put some work into finding out who the interested parties. I was looking at salary cap tables and you know, trying to figure out who the interested parties for Richie Incognito might be. But at this point, it might not matter. I mean, if the guy is that unstable that he can't, he can't not be under contract and also, I don't know, not harass people in public, maybe he might, he might not have a job. That being said, the Bills are top 10 in cap space right now as we head into the actual season. So there's a lot of teams with a lot less money to spend than we had. So I don't know what exactly his play was as far as trying to get out from underneath the Bills' thumb, but God bless him. I wish him nothing but the best. You know, hopefully this situation resolves itself. It's not something, it's not the part of something bigger because honestly, I've liked Richie Incognito. For as much as we joke, I wanted him on the team for a very long time. And to think that he might be, I don't know, he, he may have some problems that we're not aware of. I don't know. I just hope that he gets whatever helps, help he needs and that even if it's not with football, the guy just goes on to live a life. Go live a life. Go make it fulfilling. Whatever you do, we wish you the best here at the Rock Bow Report. Yeah, even though that he has blocked us on Twitter, uh, <laughs> we still wanted him here. For his age, he was still producing at somewhat of a high level. And the, uh, something's got to be wrong with him mental, Cr- mentally in this in this capacity of him thinking that he's gonna get he could get more money than what we were gonna give him. Oh yeah, Chris. Having said that, I I'm not gonna sit in a glass house and throw stones. You've seen me act like a psychopath in public too. Saturday night. So with that, Chris, cheers. There's the Richie Incognito. Bottoms up, brother. Thank you. For Wish your, you nothing but yes. the best. Thank you for your service of pancaking people and blocking us on Twitter, if I haven't mentioned that before. <laughs> so now, what about the bills in this? First, there's the financial impact of things. Incognito cost the bills because of the reduction in contract we got him to take. He only cost us $1.15 million in dead cap, according to SportTrack.com. Considering that just last season his dead cap would have been roughly $5 million, this doesn't seem like such a jagged pill to try to swallow. Then there's the actual personnel player front. The team has already started making contingencies for Richie's departure, but the players filling those roles are pretty much unproven commodities. I mean, everyone on the roster right now is a mixed bag of skill and experience. I mean, look at Ryan Groy, five years experience. Groy, we retained him last offseason when the Rams attempted to offer sheet him. 
And he only has a $2.5 million cap hit. As people will remember, he effectively filled in for Eric Wood at center when he was lost to a broken leg. And his ver- he has the versatility to switch over and play guard as well. Last season, they wouldn't give him the opportunity because we had nobody to back up. We had nobody to back up Wood. This year, I very much expect him to be in play for a starting role in the interior offensive line. Considering that he's in his prime at 27 years old, in a contract year, and doesn't have a lot of top-flight competition in front of him, I expect that Groy is going to have both the opportunity and the drive to prove that he can be a long-term solution on the interior of the line for some team in football. I just hope that he plays well enough that it's the Buffalo Bills. Competition for him is Vlad Dukas. He can get out of my playground. (laughs) Nine-year veteran. Dukas is a guy who, early on, he was a much maligned part of the offensive line. He did improve his play, though, over the course of the season to a level that ultimately saw him finish the year as an every-down starter. Having said that, he's 30. And over his nine-year career, he hasn't proven that he can consistently be that guy you need on the interior of the offensive line. I mean, it's also worth noting that he carries a cap hit of $1.5 million, but his dead money is only 200000 Should a younger player on the roster prove to be better suited for our new offensive scheme? It's not a stretch to think that he's an easy cut come the uh, first week of cuts down to 75. John Miller is another name. Four years experience in the NFL. One of the few holdovers that still remains from the Doug Whaley era. I mean, that's it. He's one of the few guys that Doug Whaley was here for. Reed Ferguson being the other. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. Miller performed pretty well under Rex Ryan. I mean, he was inconsistent, but he showed some room for growth and the ability to maybe someday grow into that role. Then we switched completely to a zone-blocking scheme last season under Rick Dennison, which just didn't fit with the kid's skill set, and left him as a square peg in a round hole. He lost his job and was just another guy on the roster throughout the entire 2017 season. Now that we have a new scheme change and additional coaching, it is possible that Miller could rebound. It's also possible that with a $2 million cap hit, and just like Vlad Dukas, Dead money of just under 200000 He's, I mean, not to mention the fact that he's a Whaley guy. And you saw what Brandon Bean has done to Whaley guys. Yeah, cut, get out of here, trade. <laughs> Don't need you around here. It's, again, he's, it's, it's a possibility that he's playing for somebody else in 2018. And then there's Wyatt Teller. Teller's the fresh face, okay? He's a rookie among all these holdovers at the guard position. But he's an, he's an intriguing prospect, but he's not one without flaws that's probably going to need a lot of coaching to overcome some of that. Considering the uphill fight I think he has to becoming an every-down starter in the NFL, I think it's a stretch to say that he's capable of really throwing his hat in the ring this season to making an impact. So... Behind those four guys, we have just a bunch of camp bodies that likely won't make it much past the first round of cuts either. That's not exactly a rosy picture, is it, Chris? I would expect that they think Teller is going to come in this season and kind of be like what Dawkins was. Starts out just a, a body on the roster, 
You're obviously going to keep him because you just drafted him. And I think at some point over, I, I think you played Dukas and Miller because they got experience. And I won't be surprised by the end of September, early October, that Teller uh, gets a tryout on the uh, on the offensive line as a starter and uh, and hits. I mean, because we need him to hit. Well, we need it, right? But it's not a guarantee. I mean, that's part of the reason why. When if if you, those of you out there who listen to WGR, you read the Buffalo News. All the talking heads, the pundits, the local broadcasters, they've already gotten bored. They've beaten the horse of quarterback to death. Okay? So now they've moved on to fresh meat, which is complaining about our offensive line. And maybe that's fair. Having said that, there may be something to what I've been referring to as now in my own head to try to make peace with this, the golf method, quote-unquote, of offensive building. For those of you who might not remember, Jared Goff was drafted number one overall in 2016 by the Rams. His team, while talented on defense, didn't have anything working on offense. Outside of a dynamic running back, you know, that was it. That's what they had. They had a running back, a quagmire at quarterback, an offensive line that was up and down. Yeah, why do you think that they sent an offer sheet to Ryan Groy? Exactly. They had a veteran journeyman in Case Keenum who started the season at quarterback and led the team to a 4-5 and five record behind an offensive line that couldn't block anybody and a wide receiver group that wasn't dynamic enough to make any sort of a difference. Then they put Goff in and let him ride out the final seven games of the season in a move that, when you look at the results, kind of felt like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. He lost every single start, and a lot of people thought the Rams were a laughingstock. God knows I was one of them. I mean, Chris, did you give the Rams, after that atrocious year, the Bills beat them. The Bills beat them at home. Yes, I remember that. Did you give them any any sort of credit, or did you did you think, like, hey, this is a franchise on the upswing? Uh, n- not Not right after that season ended, but... I mean, I do like that they brought in McVay, who's an offensive-minded guy. I, well, I really think it speaks volumes when you pair an offensive-minded head coach with a rookie quarterback. And I think McVay has a lot to do with what turned Goff around. Well, and so that's it. The following season, flush with cap space and valuable draft capital, the team completely revamped its offense, and they started up front. They paid a ton of money for a pair of dynamic offensive linemen. They also went out and obtained via free agency and trade a pair of new wide receivers and drafted a third wide receiver, completely overhauling their wide receiver core with playmakers in a single season. I mean, even though we all like to poke poke fun at Sammy Watkins for, oh, you didn't, you still don't have a thousand yard season or, well, he does. He has one, I believe. Oh, wow. Good for him. <laughs> but he scored eight touchdowns last year. At the same time, Robert Woods was a weapon for the Rams. And Cooper Cup, Cup turned out to be a great receiver. So in one single offseason, the Rams took their wide receiver depth chart from shit to great in a single offseason. That, that'll happen when you have hire an offensive head coach who brings... The system that McVay brings. And this is it. And then their quarterback. All of a sudden, solid protection surrounded by weapons. 
He flourished in year two as a full-time starter, seeing massive upticks in his passer rating, yards per game, and most importantly, the win column. He went 11-4 and four as a starter. Okay? You can thank a lot of that, for to, to your point, McVay. Mc, you brought in a dynamic offensive coordinator as a head coach in Sean McVay, and you moved away from Jeff reverse King Midas Fisher. I mean, I call him that because unlike the actual King Midas, everything Jeff Fisher has ever touched, including but not limited to every offense he's fielded since 2005, every quarterback he's coached since 2000, and even that stupid haircut and fucking goatee of his, they're absolute garbage. Everything the man touches turns to shit. I mean, honestly, he should be locked away in Guantanamo for crimes against football. <laughs> Dude, I, I hate to cut you off here just for just for two seconds. We're already halfway through the first period. Washington scored a minute into the game. Ovechkin, one nothing Capitals. All right, but at the same time, maybe there is something to this model of building an offense. Let's face it: the Bills aren't winning a Super Bowl in 2018. We knew this before the pre-draft process started, and that isn't changing now, even with the acquisition of what we hope is a franchise quarterback. But the Rams are proof that if orchestrated properly, and yes, I can't believe that I'm crediting the fucking Rams with doing something properly. It is possible to quickly overhaul an offense once you've got a quarterback in place that understands how to utilize it. It's like teaching a kid how to drive. You let them learn using your late great aunt's grocery getter before putting them behind the wheel of a brand new V8 charger, which you can now afford because you went cheap with the first vehicle and bought yourself time to save while they were still earning their chops. The 2017 Rams were proof that that model of building an offense can work. Will it work for the Buffalo Bills? I, I think that depends on what kind of talent they attempt to bring in and when they think they can get it done. I do like that you made that reference to a V8 charger. Potter. (laughs) (laughs) He's crashed his twice. It's great. (laughs) With that, we're talking about obtaining talent. Well, right now it's open season because the second wave of NFL free agency has started. Okay. Post-draft, teams are looking and saying, okay, who's still out here who has a jo- doesn't have a job and is really looking to take a cheap contract? We're going to start this week on the offensive side of the football. I mean, things have really ground to a halt as far as football news goes. Players are just kind of at their respective facilities training, prepping. Doing their the- own thing, no bar fights. <laughs> uh, we don't have a general manager saying football's not for humans and <laughs> Rex Ryan's not talking about a new rap on his truck. I mean, it's walking ambient over at One Bills Drive. Teams are kind of putting together their 90-man rosters. But injuries are already starting to send some teams looking for replacement players, which is spurring some action on the market. I mean, look, at the Chargers are suddenly looking for a new number one tight end. Washington is going to have to look or at least rely on a backup guard for the entire season. And there's already a pair of linebackers that are done for the year with ACL tears. So right now, the second wave of NFL free agency and trades, it's wide open. I mean, the Jets got things going early. 
Jets GM Mike McCagnan made the trade of former second-round quarterback selection Christian Hackenberg, who I'd like to point out never played a single NFL snap, got sent away for a seventh-round pick to the Raiders. What? (laughs) What an idiot. Oh, what a loser. So, sticking with that side of the ball, I'm just taking a look at some of the names that are still out there who might be capable of coming in here to Buffalo and elevating the talent level of the corresponding position group on the roster. Just giving it a first glance, a couple names stick out to me. First and foremost, an offensive guard, Alan Barber. Who the hell is that? Exactly, Chris, because you don't know football. Barber was a stud for Philadelphia, which is why Denver traded for him in the first place. But during Barber's two seasons with Denver, poor quarterback play, and then a new scheme change that didn't play to his strengths after his first year, led to not only a regression of the entire offense, but he didn't play as well as they expected him to. So obviously they let him loose. At 33 years old, Barber is kind of long in the tooth for an interior offensive lineman, but he's proven before that he can play at a high level when put in a scheme that fits his skill set. If you're really desperate, if you're looking at our current interior line options and you don't like them, there is a guy right there who you can go out who isn't in a psych ward. (laughs) He's a former pro bowler, and it's possible that you could go out and obtain him for less than fair market value. I think it's a move the Bills could make in the event that they really felt compelled to address that position group. Then there's the much maligned wide receiver group. Everyone talks about how we as a team don't have any dynamic wide receiving options. Yet there are still a couple on, I mean, there's a bunch of free agent wide receivers, but there's a couple that stand out to me personally as solid options. First and foremost, wide receiver Michael Floyd. Can we talk about that for a second? Michael Floyd, at just 28 years old and a former first-round draft pick of the Arizona Cardinals, formerly of the Minnesota Vikings, Floyd started his career, he was kind of up, kind of down, he had a, I think he had a thousand yard season in there, if I'm going to go to pro football reference, I just want to look at it. When you look at what he put up in production over the years, his second season he had a thousand yard year, and then every year was down from there, but that has more to do with competition and quarterback play than it really does with his own personal skill set. I mean, he's a big dude. He's a big physical wide receiver who can play the intermediate routes. He can run deep routes. He can he can do anything that's asked of him at six foot three, two hundred and twenty pounds. He did have some DWI problems. Because of that, he was cut, and of course the Patriots picked him up. And he played a vital role in one of their playoff games on their run-up to a, a Super Bowl victory over the Atlanta Falcons. He now has a Super Bowl ring. At just 28 years old, 6 foot 3, 220 pounds, the ability to play all levels of the field and still out there on the you know maybe because of his off the field stuff. He's a guy worth looking at if you really give a shit about upgrading your wide receiver group. I mean, you're talking about a group that's going to come in here with a number 2 wide receiver of Andre Holmes. Andre, I don't know how to catch the ball except when it's in the end zone, Holmes. I'm fine with a receiver core. I don't... Because you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm not the one who leaves Bill's games. 
Yeah. Or the one, or the one who, you know, we go three and out on our first drive after we get the kickoff. Ah, that's it. It's over. <laughs> There's still <laughs> 43 minutes left in the game, and it's over. Michael Floyd still has, I, I think, has He's got the nothing. upside to help an NFL franchise. I'm shocked that he doesn't have a job. I'm assuming it has to be off the field related. But then again, if McDermott can embrace a guy like Richie, why can't he bring in a guy like this on a cheap try-it contract, a prove-it deal, and upgrade that position with two legitimate starters, a number one and a number two, and KB Michael Floyd? I think he's too much of a head case. Maybe if you don't want to go that high, I've got one more option out there for you. Eli Rogers, 25 years old, formerly out of Pittsburgh at wide receiver. Now I'm good. Yeah, well, guess what? He pr- he's a young guy with a lot of upside. He proved in a handful of games early on last season that he could take on a, a, a decent workload as a wide receiver. You know, he was a fantasy football darling for a hot minute. Ultimately, he's a guy who was made expendable by all the additions that they made, the Juju Smith-Schuster emergence, and the fact that they have Antonio Brown and just don't want to spend money at that position. I, I get it. But he's also a fairly capable wide receiver who, being as young as he is, has a little bit of upside. You could look to him to maybe upgrade that position group if you're really thinking that this is going to be one of the sore spots on the roster. Because to hear pundits talk about it, we have the worst wide receiver core in the NFL. And then I want to I float one outside-the-box idea here. It involves a trade. Yesterday, you know, I'm I'm per- perusing football headlines, and an odd one stuck out to me. Jamie Samuelson of the Detroit Free Press penned an article about what an issue the team is going to have, that is the Detroit Lions, in trying to figure out how to find snaps for all four of their running backs. Just this offseason, they signed LeGarrette Blunt as a free agent to join third down back Theo Riddick and former second-round pick, Amir Abdullah. Then, come draft day, in the second round, they took Auburn running back Carrion Johnson. War Eagle! <laughs> Fuck him, he's from Auburn. I hope he does awful. War Eagle! I'd like to believe, though, that the presence of a short yardage back like Blunt and a seemingly do-it-all three-down back in Carrion Johnson might make a running back like Amir Abdullah expendable. At the same time, he came into the 2015 draft with enough upside to himself be considered worth a second-round pick. And his first season, he had his first season shortened by injury. In 2017, they stated that his elusiveness prior to his injury was comparable to David Johnson's. So if he comes in at 100%, he could be a young asset that could be groomed by the team that likely wouldn't cost a lot to obtain, considering you're talking to a team that's likely probably going to have to cut the guy because they don't have any room for him to take snaps. He's not as dynamic a pass-catching threat as Theo Riddick is. At the same time, he's not nearly the do-it-all that Carrion Johnson is, but he's still a good running back with a lot of upside and room for growth. He could be brought in here to bolster our running back position, which really is begging. I mean, Chris Ivory, I get it. We have him. But Chris Ivory is a plugger, okay? He is a one cut. I'm going to put my head down and bear it behind the pile and I'm going to go. He's not a cutter. He's not elusive. 
Abdullah, with the right coaching and if he's healthy, could fill that need if the coaching staff thinks that he could be that guy. I'm just throwing things out there. What about you guys? Anybody listening to this podcast right now? Are there any players you'd like to see the Buffalo Bills make a play for on offense? Tweet us at Rockpile Report and let us hear about it. And now, folks, as we do every season, you know, it's not enough just to talk about the Bills situation. You got to look around you. You got to open up your eyes a little bit and see what's going on around the division. I mean, that's what's important. That's how you get, that's how you get a home playoff game, right? Is by winning your division. So it makes sense to pay attention to what other teams are doing. And as we continue with this series, you know, we're talking about the AFC East Roundup Draft Edition. And to tie, put a bow on everything for the season, we have CJ DeSimone on with us to talk about the New York Jets. CJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, definitely an honor and a privilege to be on with you fine gentlemen here. <laughs> fine gentlemen. Nobody's I- ever said that to us. Uh, in a po- sense of the podcast, or I think as uh, friends. Like, <laughs> Drew's getting married in less than a month. I will never say it is an honor and privilege to be a part of your wedding. I wish I wasn't, <laughs> but I have to be there. Folks, CJ Simone is the host of the Jet Factor podcast. Now, CJ, just to give our listeners a little bit of background on you personally. Now, you don't live in New York. You live in Florida, correct? That is correct. Yes, I do. So what's it like being an out-of-state Jets fan living in enemy territory? I don't know what that's like, but I don't. I also, the Miami Dolphins don't strike me as a, an exactly rabid fan base. So what is it like being a Jets fan living in Dolphins country? Well, believe it or not, you would, you'd be surprised where I'm surrounded by some Miami Dolphin fans, but I'm surrounded by more New England Patriot fans than anything. <laughs> So Even in their when, own state, you, the Dolphins can't hold things down. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, which which is which is quite unfortunate. You know, so uh, I mean, it, it, it's like ridiculous. I mean, uh, right around the area where I live, I think I'm in vicinity of at least five different uh, Patriot fans. That every time football season comes around, you see the Patriot flags in <laughs> in their front yards and they're hanging, you know, they're five time Super Bowl champions and this, that, and the third. Oh, I man. just make me want to like slash my wrists or burn the house down, whichever one comes first. <laughs> now you but, now you host the Jet Factor podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I mean a, a weekly, bi weekly. Tell us a little bit about it and where people can find it. Absolutely. Well we are a weekly podcast. I actually try to get on every single week um for the for the most part. And uh, we're we're on SoundCloud.com uh, backslash the Jets Factor podcast. You could also find us on the NYJetFans.com podcast lineup, along with other great shows like Let's Talk Jets uh, with uh, Tyson Roush and Long Beach Joe. Uh, we are also on the GruelingTruth.net. Uh, we're formerly with uh, Grandstand Sports Network with you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping GSN gets started up real soon again because uh, you know that was just a fun, a, a fun experience. It was being a lot of able fun. To, yeah, it was. It, it was fun being able to to um, get to talk to a lot of different shows out there that maybe if you don't know about them, a lot of people wouldn't know to look for them. Exactly. So, and that's it. That's the name of the game here in podcasting: collaboration. Because on. Everybody wants to think they know everything, but in all honesty, I don't, and I'll never pretend to. You know what I mean? I have no problem. Unless you've been drinking. Unless I've been drinking, in which case I know everything, and there's no argument with it. But having said that, 
I'll tell you, it's endeavors like that that really make doing this type of thing worthwhile. Now, as far as you know, you personally, you know, just so people can kind of get an idea of who you are and where you come from, you've been a longtime Jets fan. you got to care. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing a podcast. You know what I mean? You wouldn't have it in you to do this every week if you didn't care. So as a fan, every fan has at least two moments they can point to, their favorite moment of being a fan of their team and their least favorite moment. If you could pick yours, what was your favorite day being a Jets fan? The favorite day for me being a Jets fan was probably the, uh, the there's there's actually two of them. There's one A and one B. One uh, A definitely has to be the Monday Night Miracle, um, in which the Jets came back to beat the Miami Dolphins in overtime in pretty much a game that I watched at a sports bar, which was absolutely livid. It was livid that the Jets were losing, that so many people had left. But I said, you know what? We're, I'm going to sit. I had my pitcher of beer. I had my buffalo wings. A couple of a couple of my other jet buddies were hanging out. We were all like, you know what? Screw it. Let's watch the end of the game. And before you know it, the comeback was on. And there were people that were trying to get back into the bar because they had heard on the radio that the Jets were making this miraculous comeback. And the bar owner was like, nah, get the hell out of here. You guys checked out. Beat it. <laughs> you guys are the mushes. So, get out of here. Put them in the bathroom. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, basically it was it was a lot of fun just being experiencing that and just being able to, you know, hang out with other Jet fans, to talk about to talk with other Jet fans and so on. It's it, it it's really it really was a very entertaining and fulfilling experience for me. That I was one A. One B was when I was actually down here in the state of Florida when the New York Jets went to Foxborough. And busted the Patriots' ass in the playoffs to send them going to play golf, <laughs> Mr. Tom Brady. I'll, I'll tell you this, CJ. And, you know, that, that, that moment, me and my ex-girlfriend were watching that game, and we had made a decision that, you know, screw Rex Ryan. I hate this guy. I can't root for him. I can't root for him. We're going to root for the Patriots. And I said, you know what? That sounds like a good idea because I do hate Rex Ryan's guts. And then kickoff came. And the Jets kicked the ball off, and the Patriots guy comes out to catch it at, like, the 10-yard line and just gets smoked. And I jumped off the couch. And it, it, that's the day it hit me. I really can't root for anybody. Like, I'll root for anybody who's playing the Patriots. <laughs> that game did it for me. I'm like, I hate the Jets. I hate Rex Ryan. But damn it if I don't hate the Patriots more than them. <laughs> now, yeah. as, now, as far as least favorite moments... What's a time during your fandom that you can point to that just left you with your face in your hands, wondering why you're even doing this? Uh, most recently, or, or or do you just or, in, do you in want general? Me to go as far the back one, as the eighties. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> what is what is the one moment? Because I I can tell you what mine is. I know it like it was yesterday. What's the worst thing that's ever happened to you being a Jets fan? Uh, the butt fumble on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> If you I'm want to sorry. talk about a time when I contemplated suicide, <laughs> that was it. I watched that happen live, and I remember thinking to myself, "This that didn't happen. It oh, went, there's no way he did. It's oh, Thanksgiving prime time. So you knew everyone in America <laughs> was, was watching watch that. It. Everyone. And it was the only game. And then on top of it, too, I mean, you know, probably what was more embarrassing is that 
you know, the Jets were talking so, there was so much bravado, there was so much talking back and forth <laughs> about this game that the Jets couldn't wait to play this game. And I really was looking forward to a good, entertaining game. Even if the Jets would have lost by three, or the Jets would have lost by seven or whatever, at least if we had put up a fight, then it, it probably wouldn't sting as much. And obviously if the butt fumble never happened. Well, didn't but they put the up 14 happened, points in like 20 seconds? Then the wheels completely went off the wagon. Yeah. And it was just like the team just went in at halftime and just flicked the switch and shut it off. The butt fumble said, was you know so what? powerful. I just, I, I just want to get out of here. I want to get home. I want to eat my turkey. I want to go in the shower. I want to forget this game ever happened. But you know what? It's still now to this day, even with the Jets' playoff win in Foxborough, they still bring up the butt fumble. It's mm-hmm. like the butt fumble and the, uh, oh, how many rings do the Jets have? Yeah, that's what I thought. So like every asshole Patriot fan that I have to deal with who, who has that, that type of mentality. See, I've actually broken the Patriot fan base down into, into two types of players, into two types of people. The first type is those that are completely idiotic and moronic, and they only know... Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Rob Gronkowski, Julian Edelman, and Danny Amendola, who's no longer with the team. Mm-hmm. They couldn't name you a position coach. They couldn't name you an offensive lineman. They couldn't name you a defensive lineman. But they swear they're diehard Patriot fans, and they will get in your face and let you know that the Patriots are five-time Super Bowl champs and that the Jets, Bills, and Dolphins all suck in the AFC East. <laughs> <laughs> Trust then me. You have the I'm related the to court. some. I'm related to some of those. Trust me. I understand. I feel your pain. Yeah. Then you got the guys that have no idea who right. Tony Eason is. Then you have the guys who 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 have suffered in the '70s and the '80s yes. with the Steve Grogans and the Doug Fluties and the Drew Bledsoe's and were there when they went one and fifteen and two and fourteen and three and thirteen. And those are the diehards. And those are the ones that I really like having the conversations with. As a matter of fact, one of them is actually one of my good friends. His name is Bill Gaza. He works down here in Florida. Well, I'll tell you and this. I mean, and I we, have, we have guests. He, we have a guest on our show routinely, Christian Simonelli. He he knows a lot about the Patriots, and he's not. He, he's, the, he's the B category that you're talking about. And we actually have some followers on both social media and who listen to our podcast who are Patriots fans. And they flat out say, they're like, look, you guys... A, know your shit, B, you're funny, and C, sometimes it really is just entertaining for them to listen to how miserable we are. And D, because, they, because they suffered the way we're currently suffering. Yeah, and D, they also, right. know, they also know that, like, Christian knows, hey, our time is up soon. This ain't going to last forever. So let's enjoy this while we right. got it. Speaking of which, while we got this podcast rolling... Let's enjoy this with some draft conversation. Now, the Jets, I mean, the Jets really set the table early with that big, what I thought was jumping the gun a little bit. I mean, I thought that the trade up to number three, which turned out to be a good roll of the dice for the New York Jets. Let's not forget you hated the trade. I hated the trade. I love the trade. I hated the trade because, in my opinion, it left the door open. It left the door open that another team could still trade up in front of the Jets. As it turned out, the Bills attempted to do that, and the Giants price could, too not, high. could not, not even the price was too high. As soon as they found out that Saquon Barkley was going to be available, 
they weren't willing to listen to offers. Yeah, and then let's so not, let's not mention that, Cleveland going to Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland kind of Cleveland this draft. So it really did pan out for the Jets. Now, as far as the rest of the draft goes, you personally, CJ, first and foremost, what were your thoughts on the trade? For, uh, on the thought on the thoughts of the trade for the for the Jets going uh, to uh, the number three, yeah, right. Um, moving up to the number three. Sorry, I lost my train of thought for just a moment. Um, when when the Jets made that uh, made that trade uh, to no, up from six to number three, man, the just the the fur was flying. The Jets got fleeced. Why are they making this deal? It's too soon. McCagnan doesn't know what he's doing. When, when I tell you, gentlemen, that the Jets' media hate is real, we've even got media beat reporters in our own damn market that hate this team. Okay, and that's really frustrating for me as a fan because, A, I'm no longer in the New York area, so my, my outlets in regards to getting news about my favorite team is limited. And, B, you know, it's like you cover the damn team. Why are you going to be so negative? And how are you sitting there and, and, and vilifying Mike McCagnan and making a, a smart, calculated move now? Because you're talking about when the Jets moved up, they gave up their, their three second-round picks, mm-hmm. two this year, one next year, you know, to move up to the third overall pick in the draft. It's like you make, this, you make that type of move on draft night, you're giving up three times that much. Oh, absolutely, and I think that okay. it's not like it's, I mean, CJ. I really, it's, it's not like you knew what you would have been able to do with your yeah. all the second round picks that you had accumulated. I mean, for all we know, you would have just drafted a position equivalents to <laughs> Christian Hackenberg and Jason Morrow. And uh, oh, in fact, God. in fact, we were making What's fun of you guys the, during uh, one why? podcast. I was like, apparently, they've decided they're so bad with second round picks, they're just going to punt all of them at one time. <laughs> Save well, see, the if, you do it, if you think about it, given the Jets' history, and you gentlemen are absolutely correct, the, the, the Jets have not had a very good history with second-round picks uh, as of late. So far, the only one that seems to have panned out right now is Marcus May. Yes. So, <clears throat> you know, it, uh, McCagnan's fortunes and his being able to, to, you know, kind of pull his head out of his ass, so to speak, and have a, more voices in the room, not just him and Todd Bowles, you know, as far as position skill players, that played a major role in this this year's draft. Well, so let's talk Which, about this year's draft. We're talking about the the New York Jets 2018 draft class. First and foremost, before the draft even got started, what were the Jets' needs, glaring needs, heading into the draft? I mean, obviously quarterback was one, but there had to be some other holes that, you know, maybe from – you know, a couple hundred miles away, we here in Buffalo aren't aware of. Okay. Uh, first off, offensive line. Their offensive line is among the worst in the league. Um, pass rush. They needed linebacker depth, which they actually addressed not only in this draft, but also during free agency. Uh, they needed secondary help. We actually needed a, we needed a true number one corner. We actually addressed that in free agency and bringing in Tremaine Johnson. So that was a smart move. Resigning Mo Claiborne, um, he can be a solid number two when he's healthy. But the key statement, or the key part of that phrase that I just mentioned, is when he's healthy. So uh, getting Spencer Long in, 
immediate upgrade from Wesley Johnson because Wesley Johnson is just closet trash, you know, but I still wanted them to uh, still address the offensive line a little bit more. I still wanted to see the left side of that line upgraded because I just think that Kelvin Beecham is, is, you know, Midland at best. And James Carpenter, you really don't know how much more he's got in the tank. So you need to be able to have depth players behind him that, <clears throat> you know, they can step in in case one of them or both of them end up getting hurt. See, now this so is, offensive line. Well, I was going to say, um, th- th- oh, I'm sorry. Th- this just to me, as you're talking, I'm looking over your draft picks because I guess, again, and we addressed it earlier on in the show. After the, after the Josh Allen pick, I went into just a bad place. I was like a man <laughs> lost. It's like the movie Open Water. Have you ever seen it? That's how I yes, felt. I, I felt like I was that guy out there alone in the ocean with no life raft. It's like, oh, this is it. This is where it ends for me. So I'm looking over your guys' draft, and to hear you talk about what you thought needs were, it really, I, I mean, it seems like with no second-round picks, you guys kind of really didn't, like what you're saying, you didn't really address the, the line at all. And instead, kind of looked at skill position, you know, cornerback, uh, tight end, running back. You drafted those positions and somehow kind of stayed away from what you're saying you guys perceive to be some of the weaknesses of the roster. Now, so I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, if you had to assign a grade to how well they addressed the team's overall needs, counting quarterback, where do you think they land as far as all that goes? Uh, I think right now I I do have to give uh, I have to give uh, overall with this free agency and the draft I got to give Mike McCagney a B plus. Okay, I really do. Okay, because so you're, you're I, fairly although content. he might not have addressed offensive line in the manner that I would have liked to, we addressed linebacker depth, we addressed corner depth, we addressed safety depth. We address defensive line depth. You're going to see players from our practice squad that guys who we felt, not last year, but the year before, had made an immediate impact and warranted a good, a good hard look on this 53-man roster, now be able to be reintroduced and get another opportunity to get out there. Our running back situation was an absolute dumpster fire. Okay, I mean, Thomas Jones, uh, Glaciers were running faster than Thomas Jones. So for me to see him go... It was, it, it was a weight off of my shoulders. I thank him for his service, especially you know going through everything that he went through. I know Brandon Marshall talked him into coming here, but Brandon Marshall was a dumb, dumpster fire himself. So, you know, th- that being said, having the running back stable that we have right now with Isaiah Crowell, Thomas Rawls, um, uh, you have uh, uh, Cannon, the guy who uh, uh, the rookie that was drafted. Mm-hmm. Um, you're uh, a fan Cannon. of the Royal Powell. There's still Elijah McGuire. They brought in Thomas Rawls. Elijah um, McGuire. I, honestly, I don't know why you guys upgraded. I think that guy needs more carries. If anything, I mean, he saved a fantasy game for me because I needed to start somebody. He was out there and he <laughs> dominated. So, look, uh, CJ, look, if. You're, you're complaining a lot about your, your offensive line needs. Uh, if McKagan can get on an airplane and go to Florida, there's an offensive lineman currently in a psych ward if you need one. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. So, so CJ, let me ask you this. So now you, you've kind of given the, you've given the, 
draft a pretty solid grade. You seem pretty happy, even though you think that there's room for improvement to be made. Mm-hmm. I'm going to circle back to where everything kind of rests, kind of like the Bills draft. You know, we got similar marks in our drafts because we made a lot of similar moves. I mean, when I look at how some of the pundits graded what the Jets did, Manish Meta was kind of mad. That is Manish Meta. Manish, Manish, whatever. I, I don't get paid to pronounce some guy's name that I don't bother to read most of the time. I read his take on your, cause he seems to be, like you said, some of the f- people who are, and we here in Buffalo are totally familiar with this. We Called have, Jerry Sullivan. Yeah, I would say we have local writers who just act like everything that the Bills do is awful. So when I read this article where Meta says that he's kind of meh on your draft and he gave everything, essentially the, every mid round pick that you guys, mid to late round pick you guys made was average to below average. And the only saving grace was the pick of Sam Darnold. And then Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports says that beyond Darnold, again, the draft was uninspiring. Here's my question to you. How are Jets fans reacting to the signing of Darnold? And I'll ask a second question that you can kind of piggyback onto. Is there a certain level of trust in the fan base that they can put Darnold in the position to succeed? Well, to answer your first question, uh, the, the Jets fan base, believe it or not, there was there were different factions. There was some that wanted Josh Rosen. There were quite a few who wanted Baker Mayfield, myself included, and there were some who wanted Sam Darnold. Now, surprising, no, no, on, surprising. Nobody wanted Josh Allen. I just want to point that out. Nobody right. wanted Josh Allen. Okay, I'm sorry. I nobody had to get wanted that out of Josh my, Allen. That's, I had to get that, that out is of correct. My so, but, but here's the thing about Josh Allen. Now, my breakdown is is that. Josh Allen has a cannon of an arm. He can throw the ball 60, 70 yards, and that's great. But the problem is, is that if you can't hit the target <laughs> that is 60, 70 yards down the field, you can take that cannon arm and shove it up your ass, okay, because it does, it does absolutely no good. Okay, that's, that's number one. Number two, Josh Allen, I, I know that he had difficulty playing in a small school he had a below-average offensive line and was sometimes flushed out of the pocket and forced to make throws that he really shouldn't have. So he played a lot of his college, college career under duress. So you have to wonder if there's some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder some, <laughs> somewhere in there. And I mean this in all seriousness. Oh, not, no, it's a quarterback's not, so we've not seen in it. the case that, you know, he's just an overall bad quarterback. But it's like, you know... And Drew, Chris, you guys have seen this. Yeah. Okay. When, when, when a quarterback and that offensive line becomes, becomes suspect, and you're talking about that quarterback gets hit five, six, seven times during the course of the game, all of a sudden they start hearing the footsteps in the back of their head. They start seeing ghosts. We, now we so which lived means, that with which, which means they could have an absolutely clean pocket and will end up stepping out or rolling out of that pocket because, they, because they're hearing those footsteps or they're seeing those ghosts. Now, here's the question, though. So someone can now, now, in terms of those are the things that people don't like about Josh Allen. Now, when people look at the flaws of Sam Darnold, though, it seems like they're also there, which is why I understand how your fan base could be divided on them. So I guess my question is, in your opinion, what do you think about the selection? 
And what is your your personal level of comfort when it comes to McCagnan drafting this guy? I mean, you're talking about the GM who was responsible for drafting Geno Smith, who was also responsible for drafting the. Well, actually, no, I don't think he was Geno Smith. He was uh, that that was the uh, Izzo. Heck. Well, what was the guy before you? Yeah, John, uh, John Edzik was okay, responsible for drafting okay. uh, Geno Smith. So Geno Smith gets drafted. He comes in, his first bite at the apple, he, te- he spends a second-round pick. 51 who, overall. Who just got traded away for a seventh-round pick without ever having taken an NFL snap. You just traded away a quarterback for nothing that you drafted highly. That same GM has now selected Sam Darnold. Now... On his way out the door, you've got Hackenberg saying that he doesn't feel he was ever given the training or the proper attention or the, you know, coaching that he needed to become an adequate starter. So when you're looking at a quarterback like Darnold, who maybe could be serviceable as he is, could be elite if he receives the right coaching. Is elite. Where is your comfort level with the selection? And with the staff that selected him. Okay. Well, first off, I want to uh, I want to address the Christian Hackenberg and his his comments to the media. And you know, I'm I'm not going to bash the guy. I'm not going to I'm not going to call the guy a jerk or anything like that. But if he felt that he did not get the coaching that he needed, let me sit back and play back 2017 preseason where he was force fed. First team reps, where they <laughs> were basically setting him up to be the starter and he was for 2017. Sh- and he was okay? shelling reporters on the sideline was, was He was being force-fed the ball. Force-fed, which means they didn't care that he hit reporters on the sidelines. They didn't care that he threw five yards in front of the guy or five yards behind the receiver that he was trying to target. They didn't care that he couldn't read defenses to... to save his life. Uh, I mean, the kid was lucky that he could wipe his ass with directions, okay? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, when, when I hear this, as far as the, the, the coaching is concerned, I mean, in a way, the comments kind of piss me off a little bit, because you know what? I think we've given him more than enough opportunity for him to be able to be successful here. It's not our fault that he just doesn't have the squash between the ears to process NFL defenses, and he thinks that he's getting better coaching by sitting down and playing Madden, which I think is completely ridiculous, okay? But you know what? Up to this point, the only bad thing that I could say about Christian Hackenberg and his dealings with the media was he was a good soldier. He did everything that he was asked. He tried his best. And you know what? The Jets were not a fit for him. This is a kid who needs to sit behind a veteran for five to six years. Who's got that kind of time, Drew? Nobody. Nobody. Chris, In the NFL, know, it's, it's what you have know you done for me Do you know anybody that got that kind of time other than the New England Patriots? You think Belichick could fix this kid? Absolutely not. I don't. And so this is my point. Now, given his comments, though, and given the fact that even though they didn't draft Geno Smith, you know, Todd Bowles kind of inherited him. And he didn't do well. He didn't do well in that. In that sense, and then he because kind of Todd had, a, and then he kind of had, a, and then he had Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Todd Bowles knew that he was trash. All you have to do is go back and take a look at the tape for 2017 preseason. Okay, every single first team rep that he was out there for being force fed, 
you saw his struggles. You saw that the offensive line had difficulty containing him because okay. he was still trying to diagnose the defense and he was holding on to the ball for 7 to 10 seconds. So now let me you ask you a question, though. Let me, let me ask you a you, question. You now. hold on to the ball for 7 to 10 seconds as an NFL quarterback, you're asking to get killed. Okay, but, let me, ask you, but let me ask you the question. Okay. So given that, the, the pick of Sam Darnold, because Todd Bowles, by my understanding, and in in such a way because of, like you said, the recent second-round draft pick struggles of the New York Jets, Mike McCagnan and Todd Bowles are guys who need something to happen, and they need something to happen quickly for them. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say that uh, Sam Darnold could never be a good quarterback. I'm not going to say that. What I am going to say is that he's playing football for a coach and a GM who literally have balls that are within a quarter inch of the bandsaw, okay? <laughs> given that, given that, and, and like you said, to your point, struggles with the offensive line. People have witnessed the turnover struggles that Darnold has had. They've wit- mm-hmm. they, uh, there's a reason that a lot of the Jets fans are kind of biased against him. What is your personal level of comfort heading into 2018 with the possibility that I mean, even if he's sitting behind a starter, long-term, the pick may bear fruit. My fear is that you're talking about a GM and a coach who need something now in order to save their jobs. Is there any worry amongst the fan base that this pick could either be rushed or just ultimately end up blowing up in their faces? No, I think the, I think the way that the Jets are rebuilding the organization right now from top okay. to bottom... They're finally doing it the right way. Okay. And if, if you ask me, you're talking about a rebuilding process that was four years overdue. All right, we should be in year four of a rebuild. But instead, Mike McCagnan and Todd Bolt's first year, they had close to $100 million in cap space. They went out. They, they revamped their secondary through free agency. They ended up bringing in Ryan Shit's Tragic. Okay, who got them to a uh, <laughs> a, a ten and six record? Got you so you close, know, at, and then just left you, dude. That is the story of Ryan Fitzpatrick's career. He's so close right. to giving you what you want, and then ultimately doesn't give it to you. Right. Well, well, you see, here here's also the the caveat to that thing. You had a a roster that was built to win now, and they had a very very small window. And with a weak schedule, the Jets benefited from a couple of games that went their way, okay? And to be honest with you, they still couldn't put the foot on the throat. Week 17 against you guys in Orchard Park, and it ultimately led to them being left out of the playoffs, even though they finished with a 10-6 and record, which was fine. Todd Bowles ended up being the first coach in NFL history, or, uh, not in NFL history, excuse me, let me revise that, in New York Jets history, to not make the playoffs on his fir- uh, in his first year as head coach. Wow! So he shares, you know that that hall that wall of shame. That's all him right now. Okay. Now, in year two, they figured, okay, let's try again by making little or no moves to the roster, losing Chris Ivory. Okay, which which was a mistake, and replacing him with Thomas Jones, and then the team ended up going five and eleven. Then they finally decide to blow it up, and then we get last year, last year in a true rebuilding year, 
and we're talking about an NFL team that NFL pundits called a the worst the worst statistical roster in football. B that the Jets were going to be historically bad on offense. Not just bad, not just very bad, historically bad. And three, that they were looking at by the end of the year that either Woody Johnson or Chris Johnson were going to clean house and we were going to get a new GM, we were going to get a new head coach, and we were going to have a new set of players. This team ended up overachieving going 5-11 and and probably had a, couple, had a couple of games that they had leads that they didn't blow and we didn't get screwed in the Patriots game at home. This team potentially could have finished 500 last year, maybe above 500, and probably could have made it to the playoffs. Interesting. Okay. So, okay, so, so now so how the arrow this, is well, pointing I, up. Well, I was going to say, how now, does this draft help you guys take that next step? I guess well, that's, where I wanna, you, what, that, that's where I want to wrap everything up here. Where does this draft leave you guys in terms of, I mean, your comfortability with it? It sounds like you're pretty confident about the Darnold pick. I guess my question is, do you think that this draft as a whole helped you guys take another step towards rebuilding this franchise into an, a year-in and year-out contender? Yes, I do. And in regards to Sam Darnold, the smartest thing that I liked about this pick, now I know everybody had their reservations about Mike McCagnin picking quarterbacks because his quarterbacks uh, have not been the best. Let's, let's review Mike McCagnin's history, shall we? Uh, what, TJ Yates, Tom Savage, Bryce Petty, and Christian Hackenberg. Okay, are any of these four quarterbacks that I just named lighting the world on fire? The answer to that question is no. So that's why Mike McCagnin and Todd Bolt had several voices in that room, several voices going over tapes, going over statistics, making sure that whatever quarterback that they pick now it could imp- is going to impact this franchise for the next decade. You whiff on this pick, you set this franchise back 10 years. Not five, 10 years. Okay? I'm not going to live through another 10 years. Cause I'll drive to Forum <laughs> Park and shoot Mike McCagnum myself. <laughs> hey, okay. whoa, 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 whoa. Be careful because if you do pull a Richie Incognito – that could be what you just said on our podcast. Could somebody the Rock Power Report podcast could be submitted as Exhibit A? Yeah, for in, evidence in a in a courtroom. <laughs> CJ, we got. I I, leave, I have one question. It's the the only question that we that I need to know is who is a, a bigger idiot, uh, me for making the Sam Darnold bet or Drew for accepting the Sam Darnold bet? Now, if you don't know our Sam Darnold bet before the. Before you guys even drafted Sam Darnold, I said Sam Darnold is going to get whoever he is drafted by into the Super Bowl within five years of him as a starting quarterback. And that, if, if you guys got McNown for the first nine games, it'll roll over to year two. And from there, five years, the Jets will be in the Super Bowl. And if I am correct, Drew will have to drink a six-pack of Seagrams on every one of his future kids' birthdays until Sam Darnold retires. So if we have a Carson Wentz situation, if we have a Carson Wentz situation where next year the Jets are somehow in the Super Bowl and he plays 16 years, that's year two, 16 minus two, it's 14 years Drew is drinking a six-pack of Seagram's 
on his kid's birthday. Who's the bigger <laughs> idiot? Me for thinking Darnold is going to get you guys to the Super Bowl or Drew for accepting that bet? <laughs> uh, I don't know, man, but I have to say one thing. Drew, I don't know what you were thinking for taking this bet, <laughs> but holy cow. <laughs> hey, listen. All I know is I want video. Exactly. This happens, I want video. <laughs> hey, oh, well, here, quick Quick Uber story. I was Ubering two weeks ago, and I picked up a retired uh, disabled uh, physician from Santora's on transit. He got in, like, a serious car accident, and that's how he became mm. disabled. And now he's got to use Uber. And I was telling him, I mean, when I, when I pick up a guy in my car, it, this topic is generally sports-related. So I started telling him the Sam Darnold bet, and... Because I was like, yeah, we'd like to bet with shame. And he was like, oh, does somebody dress up like as a girl? I was like, no, 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 no. We bet with wine coolers. And I told him the bet, and he and he says to me from the back seat of my car, he goes, that's really cute that you, you made this bet that could, you know, could, <laughs> could end in seven years. And he goes, for all we know, you could be dead tomorrow. Exactly. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that got dark. Fortune favors the bold, CJ. And that's that's how I choose to live. CJ, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Tell the folks where they can find you on Twitter. Absolutely, guys. First off, I do want to say thank you so much again for uh, inviting me on your humble podcast. You guys are great. I I tell you, uh, I'm I'm just having a blast. And uh, how uh, people can find me, you can follow us on Twitter at CNC Jets Factor. You can follow me personally at JetsFan0523. You can shoot the show an email, thejetsfactor at gmail.com. You can find the show, the Jets Factor Podcast, on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com backslash the Jets Factor Podcast. We have a Facebook page. Just Google the Jets Factor Podcast and you will be able to find us. We are also on the growingtruth.net and most recently on the Ultimate Network of Blogs, New York Edition. Again, you can follow CJ at JetsFan0523 on Twitter. Not bad for his first time on the Rock Powell Report. Not bad, not bad at all. Guys, we have a ton of exciting off-season coverage. You know, we're, we're every two weeks, but that just yeah, gives us two we, weeks to cook up dude, some... Dude, we have one more podcast before you're a married man. Oh, my God, don't remind me. Yeah, we'll be back with an episode on uh, June 6th, three days before the wedding. <laughs> we're not so... We don't... We're not slowing down because Drew's getting married, taking a couple. There's extra- no honeymoon. There is literally no honeymoon. Okay. I'm coming straight back to this stuff. Okay, probably because you're smart. Because when I was married, I will tell you that Shannon was. I will tell you this: Shannon was all about doing the honeymoon after our wedding. And like you, I got married in June, and I told Shannon, "Okay, after our wedding, it's July. It's hot as balls in Buffalo. Why would you want to leave?" A place where it's hot and go somewhere else where it's even hotter. Why not wait and do the honeymoon until the winter when it's 11 degrees here and we could be on a cruise somewhere? And by then you were already divorced. Yeah, like that. (laughs) Like that. Like that. My marriage was over. Guys, thank you so much for showing up. And I want to give a huge shout out to Wise Guys Pizza for making my stag, it was the best. Wise JC felt over at Wise Guys. He's one of the greatest human beings on the face of the planet. 
He's uh, just a benefactor to the South Buffalo area. He's Correct. involved in every local fundraiser and charity there is. If you're not eating there, then I just assume that you have a shit palate and you don't like good food. In which case, I don't want to be friends with you. Exactly. Think of Drew, think of Drew and then think of the complete opposite of Drew, and that is J.C. Feld over at Wise Guys Pizza on Seneca in South Buffalo. Guys, www.wiseguysbuffalo.com. Please go check them out. I gotta get the hell out of here. I've got booze to drink and a hockey game to watch. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pal Report. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.